0: Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose to the cold, harsh light of StarDate four seven six three four point four four. I'm your co-host Della Sheher, and with me are Ships Counselor Tori, they them, and today we have a special returning guest.
1: Communications officer Taran H. Walker. That's, that's actually Harmon is not my middle name. <laughs> Har, my full last name is Harmon Walker. Great. Just that everyone's stalking me in, in the forums you know, knows where to find me. All right.
2: Right. Uh, and what should, what pronouns
1: should they refer oh, to yes. you as? He, him.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. I, I didn't know we were doing rank on, on the ship, but I think we established. Last time we talked about Mass Effect on the engineer, Yeah,
1: That's right. Are we a captainless ship?
2: Okay, what what I thought I was doing the intro, I was gonna I was debating between saying captain or commander Tori, but I landed on commander. But then when I realized Della was doing the intro, I realized Della should be the captain.
0: I okay. I I'm your reluctant captain.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Um unfortunately Amado's not with us today. Um during the last away mission, there was a problem with the uh, transporter. While he did arrive safely, there was a weird pattern caught in the buffer. And uh, when they resolved, they actually made a duplicate of a motto. And of course, the usual, you know, antics happened. And now they're both off playing Blood Bowl together. So, <laughs> <laughs> you we're hate to a, see it. Hate to see it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, while they're
2: busy, we're going to be recording an episode without them. <laughs> indeed. Mm mm-hmm. Though, you know, what we should do is just duplicate another Amato who can come and... be. I mean, it's possible, right? We know all of the science. I'm not sure it's possible. It depends on what the writers think the teleporter can do that episode. The ghost and the teleporter pattern. Exactly. Transporter, but yes. Trans. And buffer.
1: Why is it transporter?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I've been watching a lot of Next Gen recently, but this episode is not about Next Gen. It's actually about... These old scientists. I mean, the original series. <laughs> so,
0: did it's been a long time since we last talked about the original series. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Well,
2: dude, wasn't it just the what, the Kirk and Spock? Yeah, but that would have been did. like episode three or something. <laughs> it was not episode three, but it was in our first year. <laughs> was, I'm pretty sure that was with Joel Glick. Was that? Was that? No, right? no, uh, no. It was, We'd, was it just you three? That was
0: just us, yeah. Uh, Joel talked about um, Foundation, I think. Yeah, oh, okay.
2: Asimov, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just It was just us. It was a Kirk's box slash, and I'm really racking my brain because I feel like we should have done another original series, Star Trek original series, but I don't think we have.
0: we done some next-gen. Mm-hmm. We did some... Um, uh, Voyager. Deep Space Nine also. Did you do any Deep crossovers? Space Nine. We, d- we did a next-gen Sailor Moon crossover. Oh, that's right. That's <laughs> what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yep,
2: Yeah, that was our next-gen. Which, by the way, so I found this fic when I was looking for a next-gen fic, because like I said, I was reminded of a next-gen episode, and I have just been watching next-gen from uh, the Darmok episode in season five. Oh, Darmok and Jalad at Tanaga? Exactly, yes. <laughs> and I was reminded of that from, the, um, from Lower Decks. But anyway, the main point <laughs> is that when I found that, it was this poem and the author referenced that they had based on another poem. Mm. And the other poem was written by DeForest Kelly. Mm-hmm. Famous for playing anybody?
1: Spock. Close.
3: Oh. Spock.
0: He, mm. he played
1: he played <laughs> Spock once in, in the third movie. For the record. <laughs> Wait, really? Because right, he's inside, Wait. like Spock is inside oh, McCoy's mind.
2: Oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Oh, you got it, Taran. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. McCoy. Yes. Whoops.
0: Uh, Taran, what's your experience with th- the original series?
1: Well, I remember seeing some reruns um, when I was growing up, but my dad mostly had the family watch Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my like first main Star Trek series. And then um, we also watched the uh, original series movies mm. quite quite often, um, but not so much the actual uh, TV series. Um, and I, I really liked those those movies. And then something like a decade ago, I decided to finally, you know, once once it was easy to get the whole. The whole thing all at once i binged basically binged the whole series um but i mostly listened to it because i was in a in a job where um i wasn't i was you know nominally supposed to be doing my job with my eyes so i was just listening mostly mm-hmm. um and it was surprising but i i found myself enjoying it quite a bit and so yeah i also watched you know voyager deep space nine a bit of Enterprise before, um, for whatever reason, that series uh, killed killed my general watching habits for some time.
2: <laughs> it's been a long time. Oh
1: man, oh, that opening here.
3: yeah. What?
2: What? I mean, like, I don't dislike the song, but wh- why? Not everyone knows Star Trek opening songs has the best lyrics. <laughs> That's what it's famous for. Yeah, <laughs> we love the lyrics.
1: Never, no, right, yeah. But- that opening thing, theme might have been why I just was refused <laughs> to keep watching it. I was like, what, what is this? I
0: was talking with, with my uh, cousin who was uh, watching Enterprise. I'm like, what do you think about the intro? He's like, I don't know. I'm watching them on Netflix. I get to skip them. I'm like, oh, no, you fucking
3: don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'd be singing every time I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, if I had to suffer through it, you do too. <laughs> yeah. Admittedly, it's a catchy song, but it just doesn't. It's a catchy song, and Young Me liked the hot Vulcan, so... Oh, yeah, Sir Paul.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and well, young me, well, also me now, you know, I love Scott Bakula, (laughs) Mm. but I was honestly, this episode is not about Enterprise, but if I just have to say one thing, I was really disappointed in the character of Captain Archer. Mm -hmm. Um, I was disappointed in Enterprise in general, Mm -hmm. as many Star Trek fans are, but... Uh why would they limit Scott Bakula's range when he was famous for playing like every character in Quantum Leap? You know what I mean? Like that just made me mad. Not every series
1: can be Quantum Leap. I guess not. And now we're in like a Star Trek renaissance and there's too much stuff. It seems like it. Like I've I've watched some Lower Decks and I've watched um the first two episodes of Strange New Worlds, but I haven't watched almost any of Discovery. So I kind of mm. skipped the whole Eastern. you don't
2: you don't need you don't need discovery they summarize everything that's relevant from discovery in the first episode of strange new world and i keep telling people this because like my sibling chris who's been on here before they want to watch they they're like adamant about watching discovery first and i'm like you just don't need to because hmm. here's the thing discovery is fine as a show but mm-hmm. it's not star trek Interesting. It's nominally Star Trek, but it's not actually. It doesn't make sense in the world, That's in like my Anthony opinion. Rap, though, so. It's not utopian. Hmm. It doesn't. It it doesn't have the flavor. It's just. It doesn't have every like all of the kind of like tropes that Star Trek is famous for.
0: Yeah, but I, I could say the same thing about the um, alternate timeline movie verse thing. They're not exactly utopian either. They're actually kind of fascist. That's a good point.
2: No, but I mean. I think that it still falls in line with the lessons that are trying to be taught by like this is what I like about Star Trek, cause each episode is kind of a commentary mm-hmm. and also a moral lesson.
1: Speaking speaking of cynicism in a utilitarian world, mm-hmm. let's go to DeForest Kelly's character in TOS. <laughs> um I I originally when I was watching, you know, loosely growing up, I found his character to be um pretty much in, for me worthless. worthless. Like he just seemed to be he, he seemed to be there to inject like sarcastic humor into the show and I found him to be a downer. And now I would probably I would say he's <laughs> probably my favorite character. Um but in my rewatch I noticed that um Kirk and Spock like got way more screen time mm-hmm. than any other character. Indeed. Which is a little strange because DeForest Kelly was um, in the first season, he was billed as just a co-star. But in the second and third seasons, he was billed as also starring, which which is like a step up. Right. Um, hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I did a little bit of research. Ooh. So <laughs> I now know more about DeForest Kelly than I know about Leonard McCoy, which, you know. Leonard, Leonard
2: Nimoy? Wait. He Len- said Leonard McCoy.
1: What is what is McCoy's first date? Wait,
2: oh the the doctor?
1: Yeah. Oh, Bones. Oh. I think it's Bones McCoy. Doctor. No.
2: Um... Is this oh, you letters? meant? Oh, sorry. The character's name. The character's name. Yeah. I thought you were like comparing the actors. Um. Yeah. N- Nimoy I... Spock. <laughs> really. <laughs> It was on the tip of my tongue. I mean, I know his first name, but for some reason I'm oh, blanking on it right now. Of course
0: I know that it's um, Leonard M- McCoy, who's a fictional character. <laughs>
1: People mostly call him uh, McCoy or Bones yeah, in the show. Yeah, of course
0: so. I know Dr. Leonard H. McCoy, knowing us
2: <laughs> Bones and character in the American science fiction star- franchise Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, his la- first name is Leonard?
0: Leonard H. McCoy.
2: Oh, really? Okay, well then I was just completely wrong. Please continue. I, don't I think- thought it was... Uh, That right, please continue.
1: I don't think he was named after Leonard Nimoy, Mm. but it is kind of strange. My brain just,
0: yeah, jumped gears really quick. That's one of those moments where you say Leonard on the cast and they both turn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've had that in a couple of plays before where a character's name and an actor's name has been similar.
1: (laughs) Shall I give a little bit of my summary of his his biography? No, I would love that. All right, DeForest Kelly. I'm so ready was born in Atlanta, Georgia or near sorry he he was born near Atlanta, Georgia, I think. Conyers that part's a little confusing. Anyway, I lived near Atlanta, Georgia, um for law school in Athens and um it's a it's probably what a lot of people would expect. It was, it was probably the same back then. Um that is actually fairly rural outside of hmm. Atlanta, like Atlanta has definitely sprawled in the last couple, 20, 30 years, but like more than like 10 miles out, it becomes just super like farmy and pretty much like very little infrastructure. So they didn't, his, his family didn't have money to send him to medical school where he wanted to go, apparently. wow. <laughs> um, and, and instead he went, went ahead and like became a song and dance person, oh. um, What is a
2: song and dance person? Well, he
1: would sing on the radio as a teenager. Oh. um, And, you know, eventually he did become an actor after serving in the military during World War II. Even in the military, he was, like, he was in in the Air Force, and he he was in, in charge of, like, he was the actor for like instructional videos, oh. which which lasted like out, outside of his active service career as well.
0: But so he was active service um Air Force? Yeah. Um, do you fly planes?
1: I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think he mostly did these <laughs> training videos.
0: Or like support staff or something?
1: Yeah. Interesting. Um but he decided he liked it act- acting, like did he liked acting <laughs> so much that he ended up uh, moving to LA and you know, he started. He started uh, working in westerns, which were like the dominant TV show. I the, think the thing to do, yeah, yeah, the dominant fictional TV show, at least there's, at the time. Like
0: if you yes. flipping through TV, there's always guaranteed to be some old western movie or show on on some channel somewhere. They're they're all different. It's crazy. Yeah,
1: we've never seen them before. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but like a a person who grew up in a certain era, like for instance, my dad, who. um he was alive would be 73 this year hmm. um that's like all that i mean first of all he didn't get a television until was, like you know a young
1: child but well, hmm. that would
2: have been like all that was on tv
1: yeah yeah and he established himself in this specific field he like played a lot of villains in the westerns um but he didn't, he, he tried to avoid being typecast. So he would, he would also take as many jobs as he could that where he wasn't a villain in a Western, including like sometimes doctors, uh, such that he actually, two of his famous phrases as McCoy, um, like he he's dead Jim mm-hmm. and I'm not a doctor. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm not a blank. <laughs> I'm a doctor. Yeah. Uh, or I'm a, dang it. I'm a doctor, not a blank. There we go. Yeah. Um, He's dead. He actually said those lines as other characters um, in in other shows before he was cast on Star Trek. Huh. But he got to know a lot of people. I guess it was a little bit of, of a more insular community at the time. He, he ended up having relationships with a lot of the people who would end up producing and starring in um, Star Trek, including... He, he, he knew Nichelle Nichols from... Um, an episode of *The Lieutenant*, which was Roddenberry's first TV series, which was about the military, oh. and uh, that episode was about sort of a a, a crisis in race relations between different, like a a white and a black member of of the Navy, I think. Um, but so yeah, so then he he got he actually didn't get cast on *Star Trek* immediately, despite his relationships. <laughs> Roddenberry wanted him for the the medical um, officer for for both of the two pilots of the show. Mm. Um, but he uh, he was he was over overruled by the directors of those pilots, who had more power mm. at the time because like they were just trying to get it sold, get it made. yeah and the so it was just one episode that so the director is in charge. But once the series got picked up, uh, Roddenberry was able to basically replace the, the doctors that they had been using with, um, Forrest Kelly. And he had a, I mean, he had a good run on the show. He was one of the supposedly three, um, uh, main like stars of the show. Um, even though he was often overlooked, especially with Spock mania, um, and then, after the show, he ended up being typecast when he tried to get more work, so which is what he had feared, so he ended up just stopping his act- like ending his acting career except for Star Trek.
0: yeah, it's always interesting the um effect that this show had on the performers afterwards yeah i mean I yes. think it's pretty well known at this point what it did to Shatner and uh, Nimoy but I, after doing a little bit of research, I didn't think about this for deForest Kelly or um the guy who played uh Koenig, Koenig, the Russian guy?
1: Oh, yeah. Walter Koenig?
0: Yeah, apparently he went to um, writing movies after that. It was still kind of typecast.
1: He's in my favorite sci-fi series of all time as um, Bester in Babylon 5. There we go. I was
0: wondering how long it would take for (laughs) Babylon 5 to come Yeah, well, you know. I would lost that bag because I thought it would have been the first five minutes. but.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of intersection, obviously, like, yeah. you know, thinking about DS9, it was like, but what if Star Trek and Babu on five? Um, I think it, you know, de, de Koon- is it de Kooning?
0: It looks like King and German. I don't
2: I don't know. What I don't know. It, uh, it doesn't matter. De Kooning? Co- Gray- Sorry. Whatever, we don't know. So, right, uh, scratch that, reverse <laughs> it. What is interesting, though, is that DeForest Kelly is basically the the oldest member of the original, like the yeah. main, the bridge crew, the main cast, mm, Yep. Uh, 46 years old, I believe, when mm. he started on the show. So like, Tyron, that's an interesting explanation. Like, yeah, he was working in the Westerns and blah, blah, blah. And I think it's very interesting to think about for some of these actors, like, I wonder Nimoy and William Shatner did other stuff like, you know, for instance, uh, episodes of um, the... Wow, why is my brain working like this today? <laughs> like the, the outer limits is, and stuff yeah. like that. Oh, not yeah. the outer limits. Um, the other one. <laughs> Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> yeah, the other Twilight Zone. Uh, yeah, exactly. What well, I both. Was saying. Both. That. Yeah. Well, that's
2: both of it. But like, they were kind of just premiering themselves. If you think about it, they really were only what, like, late twenties, early thirties when Star Trek started, okay. and. You know, something I never really thought about a lot is what Nichelle Nichols went on to do because I know she went on to do stuff. I just can't remember what she did. A lot of work with NASA. That's right. Uh,
0: Getting women into space. That's amazing work. Yeah. Oh my
2: god. Um, that shows up in this poem that we're gonna talk about.
0: Is there? Does DeForest Kelly have a history of uh being a poet or songwriting or?
1: So yeah. I don't know about the writing um he did do he did he did do a, a lot of musical stuff in his youth, but i I didn't see anything about him as a writer right um i think so the the main way he earned money after Star Trek is by attending conventions because mm. the the actors are sort of famously were not like a given like merchandising rights or, like, Go figure. <laughs> like, yeah, they were paid very little. What, the
0: performers and writers weren't getting their due in Hollywood? What, what a crazy time the past was.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but
1: I will say... The distant past. He <laughs> made a lot of money doing these conventions. That's one thing. And so Good, yes. one one thing he did, I guess, to sort of mix it up and, like, pay homage to the fans is he, he wrote this poem and, and, like, read it to them before it was ever published in, in like, the, the fan... That's and and uh, kind of
0: heartening. Yeah. Uh, so t- today we're talking about three poems that
2: DeForest Kelly did about Star Trek, um, which I didn't know about till Tori uh, brought this to our attention. Nor did I, <laughs> as I mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm surprised by this because, like, this is a 1977 poem written by DeForest Kelly, and it basically just details um, kind of how. Start. I mean, it's kind of simple. It's four line stanzas, Mm -hmm. uh, 41 stanzas in total. And it rhymes, alternating rhymes, king, you know, A, B, A, B. Um, If you know scanlations, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) The meter's pretty good, but it's very simple. Like, and and certainly this could be a song. Like, I think it could be a folk song. Um, I think it would be very easy to pluck out a couple chords. Mm hmm. But mostly the the theme is kind of, it's called the Big Bird's Dream, mm-hmm. first things first. And it starts out, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there lived a big bird nesting on a play. He thought if he could hatch it and get it on the air, he'd make himself a fortune and build himself a lair. Mm. So it's also kind of um, is that iambic or anapestic. I meant to do a scan of this, but you know, I'm sorry, poetry nerds. I know. A long it's it It is iambic. <laughs> Mostly I am Um, anyway. So it starts out with that, and that's referring to Roddenberry. Mm
1: -hmm. By the way, disclaimer, um, we know far less about Star Trek than like a lot of fans (laughs) of Star Trek. Yes. And I know less about poetry. So um please save your what did I used to say as a fan fiction writer? Mm -hmm. Don't flame me. That was
0: it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, we we, we don't often have actual fan fiction writers on the podcast.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's been like 25, 20 years, I guess. Yes,
2: but it's more than I did. That's true. I lied, it's not iambic, by the way. (laughs) But it's not really that important. Um, Yeah,
0: the Big Bird refers to Gene Wardenberry, which is apparently what he was referred to on set. When there's a problem, they say, get the Big Bird down
1: here. Mm, I see.
0: Yeah, Uh, this was... According to the fan lore wiki, which I'm cribbing a lot of information from, mm-hmm. um, the poem was written and reformed in 1977 and was mm. reprinted in 1985 in a zine form. Mm-hmm. So, I thought, found it fascinating that several of the cast members actually participated in um, in Star Trek zines. That, that's kind of heartening. Yeah, I read <laughs> some, very cute. something yeah.
1: about that, too, and it's it was like, wow, like, and zines seem... Like they were like just a bigger, either a bigger deal or the entire fandom was less of a big deal. I can't yeah. tell.
0: On the fan lore page, there are similar creations where it talks about other f- fan works <laughs> done by cast members. Mm. Um, some examples, besides the three poems we're talking about today, we're ta- the others are It Ain't the Lollipop by Walter Koenig. Mm. Um, the Ladies Alone Again Tonight by Michelle Nichols. Mm-hmm. And The, Machiavelli- the Machiavellian <laughs> Principle. Machiavellian hmm 1982 Star Trek, the original series play by Walter Koenig. Mm. It was written to be sold at Ultimate Fantasy, a disastrous convention, which took place in the months following the second Star Trek movie. Wow. Yeah. So, like, the, the, the poem we read was actually, I found out later, a combination of the first and second poem.
3: Oh. Yeah.
0: Oh. Yeah. The second poem was called The Dream Goes On. All right. Um, and it wasn't dated, but it did happen in 1986. And then then the third poem is, the dream goes on and on, dot, 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 and on, dot, 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 Mm. which was from 1990, uh, reprinted in 1993.
1: It was actually kind of a somewhat short span of time that he was writing these. Well,
0: one was 1977. Yeah. And the other one was 1985,
1: and then 1990. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's pretty much Pretty much the run of the movies, though, I think. I think, yeah. Yeah.
0: The the last poem talked about the last movie. Mm. And what the how it's supposed to be saying goodbye to the fans.
1: So, right, right, right. Yeah.
2: So I did wanna before we like start discussing, um, mention yeah. that as Dilla mentioned, this was um probably mostly like Kelly's kind of idea of performing these at conventions. So we've got the one written in 77, the second one that you just said the date's 90s, yeah, but it was like um, 85 and then 90. 85 and then 90. And I like this quote from Kelly where he says, I will explain that I wrote this poem called The Big Bird's Dream in 1977. 86. And- oh, 86. <laughs> okay. He's talking about the first one. I'll explain that I wrote this poem called The Big Bird Stream" in 77, and I wrote the poem. Of course, the show was folded in in limbo. And it's more or less the story of Gene Roddenberry and his trials and tribulations in trying to sell the series to NBC, and then how it only went for three years, and then they dropped it. Then Star Wars came out, and everyone got excited about Star Wars, and Paramount thought, my God, we've got this property here, Star Trek, let's do something with it. And I like that because it's like how the whole world was getting excited by um, sci-fi, even though like we've always, not always, there's been lots of sci-fi books dating back centuries, right? Um, But for it to be popular in the world, especially this type of genre, the space exploration and starships and this sort of like theoretical, I don't want to call it physics because like Star Trek physics is very loose, but this idea (laughs) that, here here's mankind's potential mm-hmm. and also the kind of utopian nature of star trek which i've always loved
0: right like a philosophical bent on um, on uh, science fiction which i yeah. think science fiction has always been an interesting vehicle for that
1: yeah i'll point out like they sold the show to nbc as a space western um which ultimately they wanted to make a serious science fiction show but they in order to get it made, they sold it as a like a western in space. That's so funny because like space
0: westerns was such like a popular two thousands thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but for sure.
2: I, I think it's very like a lot of our contemporary sci-fi um television is very much based on that original Star Trek. Definitely. Like, I mean, we were even just talking about the fact that like DS9 is Babylon. Five slash Star Trek because it all started to influence each other, and I mean conventions. You could make the argument that sci-fi conventions started
1: with Star Trek, right? Right. I have too much information about this. Okay.
2: <laughs> no, I know. I don't. I, I I feel like we well, probably shouldn't be too tangential. But yeah. if you want to share something, please well,
0: do. Uh, also, with like um about Star- uh, the uh sci-fi conventions about the fact that Star Trek was the first major uh cultural thing that had a lot of fan involvement period that had their letter writing campaign to bring the show back then they organized themselves and that i feel like began the uh pop culture trend of really being into a piece of media
1: yeah that's and that's exactly what i wanted to bring up is like um so for the well letter writing campaign which got the series renewed for a third season after it was canceled um, it was actually originally Roddenberry uh who asked Harlan Ellison, one of the writers and a famous science fiction writer in his own right, um, to basically start the campaign by reaching out to the science fiction like <laughs> mailing list, like the science fiction fan mailing list. Um, and that started they actually started in the first season because they thought they were going to be canceled and wouldn't get a second season. <laughs> but then it like they had the infrastructure to like really pound pound the pavement for a third season when it was cancelled after the second, and that's that's kind of ironic because um yeah the the formation of modern like like fan involvement in in like the the maintenance of a of a series was actually a kind of a huge failure because <laughs> everyone hates the third season of Star <laughs> Trek the original series um and there are a bunch of reasons for that, but
0: I mean, just ain't that how it goes? Everything that's had a campaign to like revive a show that's been that's been happening past five, ten years has always been kind of lackluster. <laughs> yeah,
1: it never has like enough money, and it's like the messaging
0: gets weird or yeah. they don't know how to continue it
1: they're usually like trying too hard to like reboot it in some way where it's like or or resolve issues rather than like focus on yeah. the product like the only like sci-fi reboot i've seen that has like kept the same tone
0: of the original has been um futurama
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> someone argued to a fault um. <laughs> yeah, well, no. I mean, Strange New Worlds is pretty good at keeping the tone of Star Trek. But then again, this tone of Star Trek has been honed, uh, over several seasons. So,
1: yeah. But I wasn't a I, mean. I wasn't a fan. Group, like, like boosted thing was it? I don't actually know.
2: Oh yeah. No, sorry. I was thinking <laughs> like reboots. I was thinking reboots. I was thinking. I was also busy. Reading through the rest of this quote from DeForest Kelly, so I apologize if my uh, brain was distracted. But you know what? Let's just transition then into talking about the poem itself. Yeah. So, um, well, these poems were
0: sounds like made poems. for for these um, for the fan convention. So this is DeForest Kelly talking to the fandom,
1: right? Did you want to read more
2: of it? Oh, of this quote. Yeah. Um, the only thing that. Like it well, actually, yes. You know what? This is great because I feel like beyond maybe even what we can say about it, this kind of encompasses what he wants to do. So he's read this many, many times. And this is just one of the quotes from right before he read the poem. So he kind of goes on and says, he explains exactly what he's talking about. He says, um, you know, Parabout was ready to reboot it. And then he goes, So I wrote this thing. I really wrote it originally for myself and a couple of people heard it and it amused them somewhat. So I read it at a convention in Los Angeles and I called it The Big Bird's Dream. It's more or less self-explanatory as it goes along. It tells uh, tells the story of the creation. Tells the story. Uh, okay. There's a pause there for some reason. In the meantime, we'd all gone on our own way. Jimmy had bought an RV and he was rolling around the country, <laughs> you know, just traveling about. George Takei, Sulu, he had a job at the mayor's staff. He was very heavily interested in city politics for Los Angeles. And he still had that crazy laugh. That <laughs> ha, ha 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 That laugh gets mentioned a lot. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you could hear it all over the lot. Apparently, he killed a lot of takes during Star Trek 2. For yeah. God's sakes, get Sulu out of here. for <laughs> You can hear him all the way back. Here. So he was running around. And Nichelle was working for NASA. Leonard was in New York. At that time, he was doing a play. So anyhow, I thought maybe... Uh, and then there's an ellipsis for some reason, but that he goes. Would you like to hear it? So that's his introduction. Yeah. So the first poem talks about we mentioned briefly before the big
0: bird's dream, and we start starts off with um how the big bird has a dream, and then something about corn <laughs> in, in order to rhyme, and then like the creation of the show, the the two pilots, and the like the bold casting choices for. Whenever the show was made, sixties, seventies, yeah, mid mid sixties, yeah, of having like a black woman on it, Mm -hmm. and there's some snide comments in here about how the network tried to try to x that, and they fought as hard as possible to get Mm -hmm. that on, and then once it happened and became a success, they took credit for it.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of rumors about how the executives. Kind of messed with the show over time, which I think is true of most shows that are ultimately canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have n- I have no doubt uh, that that did happen. Um, he, he, I think he mentions in the first poem about the execs not wanting Nichelle Nichols to be part of the yes. cast. Yeah, Um that seems like it was sort of true based on what I've read. Like they they were worried about offending their. Uh, southern tv affiliates mm-hmm. um though like something like a, a month before the the show was started i guess filming um the the vice senior vice president of programming uh basically sent a letter to all the producers of all their shows like we're we are going to uh, ask for or you should in- you should include diversity in your hiring mm-hmm. criteria which um, I'm getting the sense, based on what what I've read, that that might have been partially due to Roddenberry fighting for um, some diversity in his casting, but it's not fully clear whether or not he's sort of taking credit for that or or what exactly.
2: Right,
0: because it sounds like well, Roddenberry was talking about racial stuff with the previous project.
2: Yes, indeed, and well, like if we are to take Kelly's word for or his poem's word for it, rather. I'm sure some of it is for the sake of meter, though I gotta talk a little bit later in criticism about the meter of this. Um, for the rhymes, et cetera. He does mention um Roddenberry saying it's either I or she, like as if he's really fighting for Yeah, Michele's either she's hired role. or I walk. Yeah. Exactly. Um and what's fun about how it goes on from there. Is that the network like is like, let's give it a try, um, in in the poem at least. Mm -hmm. And then um so the pilot was made and they all took a look. My god one shouted, they (laughs) filmed he's filmed a book. (laughs) (laughs) Another one yelled, it's too far out. I don't understand what it's all about. And uh, like, yeah, cute, very cute. Yeah. But I think it's really interesting to think about the creation of the show and being like yeah he had to fight for this cast diversity right yeah. and then once you know it was all written out and ready to be produced everyone was like but this is too weird like we don't do television this way like we don't do it we do, i think what he means by they've filmed a book is kind of like oh it's too uh
1: subtle long- it's too nuanced it's too Well, like long form
2: storytelling yeah too yeah exactly yeah, yeah.
1: It's something I I noticed when I was doing my watch through the full original series is there's not actually a lot of action. Like, there's a lot of, like, conversations. There's a lot of Shatner as Kirk, like, sort of ruminating on things. And the same with with Spock. Like, just just a whole lot of conversation. Sometimes some some shots of uh, random extras being, you know, taken (laughs) out by a creeping horror of some alien kind. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't, as far as I can tell, it wasn't sort of the action adventure that the the network kind of was sold that it would be. Right.
0: That's uh, interesting because like the actors they got, was like Shatner and, uh, and Nimoy because they're both like serious, like Shatner's like a Shakespearean actor. So yeah. As mm-hmm. they got most of screen time, it was mostly just like dramatic dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> you know
3: yeah <laughs>
1: i will i will say i think he gets a little bit too much hate for that because when i watched it i was always expecting him to be really thinking about because well, every single word because well, like
0: when we grew up we, we grew up with the jokes about how shabby, yes. yeah and so it was overblown and so going back to see it's it like no that's just dramatic acting that's
2: yeah. <laughs> that's and pretty like, fine really it's totally <laughs> fair to to make fun of him for it but i feel like most people are making fun of him in like a i don't know an affectionate way i think so but you're right like it's become it's become this by the time we were even born it was a cultural trend to make fun of his style of acting
1: something i learned from from this research is that like and i didn't know this but i bet my, my dad did everyone else older than us did but Shatner himself was sort of lampooning his own characterization mm-hmm. by the time we were born. Like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. all yeah. the time. Which you know? is I
0: mean, great. Cause, like, one of the first times I remember seeing him on TV was like Third Rock from the Sun. That,
2: the <laughs> people, oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Where oh, he yeah. was just, he played the big giant head. and It was just a huge Shatner I lampoon. I forgot about that.
2: <laughs> well, I was thinking of that album he put out where he just, oh, like, yeah. that, that was a total joke at his own expense. Yeah. You know? I'm a rocket man. You know, like I, yeah. people reference that all the time as if he's being serious, but there's, he's not being serious. I, I unironically love that rocket man.
1: <laughs> I, I do too. I, it's sort of a storied thing in Star Trek in general that Shatner didn't get along with his castmates. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I, but as far as I can tell, DeForest Kelly was the, like, basically his closest friend among the cast. Oh. um, And that's even though, uh Kelly thought that he would be have a bigger role than he eventually did and and uh Shatner sort of took over a lot of other like even Shatner even stole lines from Spock during filming oh, shit. which is why he comes off as like slightly more cerebral than you would think um but you know like Galaxy Quest is m- one of my favorite movies and <laughs> I think that topic covered. adequately covered that yeah. so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but yeah, this, going back to the poem, like mm-hmm. it seems almost like to me it almost seems like a love letter to Roddenberry
0: which, Roddenberry,
1: yeah, well, because it's talking about Roddenberry yes. as the big bird and how like hard he fought for all of these like important aspects of Star Trek mm, yes,
0: um, I think in the first poem about the Big bird by Roddenberry, it talks about that I think it's a love letter to the to the project more than to the guy
1: specifically the first poem for me i think yeah, yeah it's, it's mostly yeah yes i would say about about roddenberry which is interesting because uh roddenberry sort of burnt bridges with all the other cat, even all yeah. the pretty much with the fan community everyone by the time at like
0: ruined the first movie you know
1: yeah he yeah. wasn't allowed on any of the other movies yeah
2: well, I wonder, but I, I don't even know if, if Kelly had this much of a sense <laughs> of structure for his poem. But because, you know, it it was the Big Bird's dream, if he felt it needed to be focused on the Big Bird. But yes, which is Roddenberry, of course. Um, but he kind of uses the Big Bird as a vehicle to kind of move through the mm-hmm. project, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like the big bird felt a sense of elation after so many de- days of complete frustration. And, you know, like so he's using it as like oh the project's being completed, blah blah blah. But I do think there is a love letter element to it because there's like a point where uh in the early one of the earlier stanzas mm-hmm. I've got a new baby of which I'm proud is the end of the prior stanza. And the second one goes, he took an Eidic from his hand, which Eidic apparently I did not know this. I still don't know what is it is. So, what is it? No, it's the word for the Star Trek, uh, like symbol. Oh, and I just didn't even know that that was a thing, oh, wow. but he took an Eidic from his hand, the symbol he'd created for the change in man. Mm-hmm. He placed it tenderly around the small neck and in a mellifluous voice said Star Trek. So, That's very sweet. And also, the symbol you created for the change in man. I just, I love that line. (laughs) Yeah. Because it is this, again, utopian fiction. About about like the progression of humankind and stuff. Indeed. And I think that's what Kelly loves about Star Trek in general. But he's also attributing it, you know, to this sort of like -like godlike hand of Roddenberry. right?
0: That's interesting. Because at the end of the first poem, it goes into some of the problems with like, executives have with the actors where it's like after the second season then they have the letter writing campaign they're like oh shit we have to do something with star trek there's parts talking about how the then the executives said remind the actors that they're shit (laughs)
3: yeah
0: (laughs) I'm, i'm i'm extrapolating but um yeah uh the actors are aging soon may die Are they still available? Should we recast? Without the originals, how long would it last? Get the big bird. He knows where they are. And have him remind Spock he's still not a star.
1: (laughs) Yeah, isn't that interesting? Like, the fans loved Spock. And everybody, like, obviously, Kelly knew it. Everyone, like, Shatner definitely knew it. Mm -hmm. But the executives were behind, seemed to be behind Shatner. And they, apparently, Nimoy's agent was pretty tough, too, and wanted to, like, to pull his his salary for like the second season, mm-hmm. but instead they just doubled it. So it's probably a lot of like salary negotiation stuff built mm-hmm. into into that, but i'm I'm sure that the actors were not super happy about feeling replaceable. Mm. Oh yeah. um
2: sorry, this is the tangent, and we can go back to that as well. <laughs> But I wanted to correct myself and say that I.D.E.C. actually stands for infinite diversity and infinite combinations, which is the basic basis of Vulcan philosophy. But it's represented by a symbol. It is not actually the Star Trek symbol. I think it might be the basis for the eventual symbol. Hmm. I will look this up further and perhaps post it in our episode description once I I figure out. For
0: I hope you have better success than I did trying to look up how to actually make a star date because that was. A whole Oh, I've been
2: doing that forever because they're different. They're different. It's
0: different for each series. Oh, have, no. It's Calvin Ball.
1: So much for progression.
0: Mm-hmm. The original series, they were told just to pick random
1: numbers. <laughs> the a next starting. generation,
0: it's based off of the season and episode number. Oh, wow. And then, so the one I ended up mm-hmm. using for this intro was based off the uh, MMORPG start. Oh, my gosh. Because that's the only thing that's consistent.
2: <laughs> I was trying to figure out certain star dates in TNG to like compare them with. Um, I feel sorry original for series for, for Star Trek lore scholars out there. You have my deep yeah, my deepest sympathies. And I got like a star date calculator, and I put it the like I put in like today's date, and it you comes know? out a negative number. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it it just uh, okay. Anyway, sorry. Moving on. So the second poem
0: is "The Dream Goes On," and it talks about them getting all the cash back and what they, they've been doing in the meantime. And this is where it talks about um, Duhan, the one with the brogue, while well, he bought a motor coach and hit the road. He's grown a beard. It's silver and black. He says he wants to keep it if he comes back. What about Takei? He flew the damn ship. Well, he, he's into politics, a whole new trip. He had a job in the mayor's staff, but they couldn't take away that crazy laugh. Another mention of the laugh, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they go through the, the different actors and what
2: they're doing the problems with getting them back in, into the project yeah indeed and then kelly has like a reference to himself which i think is like kind of adorable like he's like what's with kelly what's with his life he's living in the valley with the very same wife <laughs>
1: he has in each of the of the poems
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah he's the constant it seems like it's like um yep i'm living in la just yeah. doing my thing with my wife and I mentioned about how um Roddenberry married
2: his his
0: nurse from the show.
1: <laughs> right, he means McCoy's McCoy's nurse. Yeah, N-
2: he means Nurse Chapel. Nurse Chapel. Uh, yeah. Ma- I've never known how to pronounce her name, so sorry, Star Trek fans. But I think it's Magel or Majel, M mm. A G E L. Barrett Roddenberry. Um, after she was married, of course.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it it's given an update about just how their lives are going, which yeah. is interesting because at this point, I, I think they've been in a, a film or two together.
0: I, I think this might be talking about them getting, the, getting them together for the film. Or the first film, maybe? Yeah, I think so. I see.
1: Yeah, and, and I, you know. Oh,
0: oh, yeah, they talk about um, Koning. Yeah, point. well, where the hell is Koning, our young point. Russian lad? Oh, he's writing for films. He's really not bad. As a matter of fact, if he can be found, he could be the one that gets this off the
1: ground. Mm. It was originally what I read was originally it was they were just doing a new series, maybe with the same actors, mm-hmm. like a, a sequel series, like ten years later. But
0: because like so they can renegotiate contracts and stuff. Yeah,
1: and then Star Wars happened, so they decided to make it into a mm-hmm. movie. And then Roddenberry maybe because he like wanted wanted to make sure that it was a success. He, like, tried to make it too much like Star Wars with, like, all sorts of special effects and stuff.
0: Y'all should watch the documentary about the first Star Wars movie. It was... It's
1: shit, man.
0: It's a whole... (laughs) Not just a shit show, it's a shit circus. There (laughs) were shit clowns, shit elephants.
1: (laughs) And they say this about all the the odd-numbered, like, original Star Trek movies. That's the lore. yeah. Yeah, The The even ones are are good. good. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And they talk about um, the hardest one to get back from the movie, um, uh, Leonard Nimoy, because he was moving on as, as like a performer. Right. Um, I'm just going to re- read the last part of the second poem. That's all right. Go for it. Indeed. And there's one actor you've left out that I really think we should talk about. I know it's something you hate to discuss because it's going to create quite a fuss. the meter's kind <clears> of... <throat> Anyways, I'm yeah. referring to Nimoy <laughs> and what he has to say. He's in New York doing a play. He's portraying a doctor and says, "Is this joy?" And he might come back if he could play McCoy. McCoy's role, the executive said, "My God, man, he's out of his head. Well, I'm telling you that really takes guts. The brass will think we've all gone nuts. What about Kelly if Swak plays McCoy? We'll just flip, he'll just flip if we get another boy.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Oh, I' rhyme yeah, okay. his hard. but <clears throat> The big bird spoke with that smile on his face. The one he wears when he solves a case. I guess that is good, like kind of reverential talk about the bird, big bird. Mm-hmm. Easy, gentlemen, don't worry about that. I can fix him in nothing flat. So just relax and calm your fears. I'll paint the green and give him the ears. <laughs> so that brings us to where we are today, with thousands of peoples, with thousands of people gathered to say, "Star Trek lives. It will
2: not die." When will someone make it fly? Mm yeah just a little interjecting but he says i'll paint d green and give him ears he's referring to himself mm-hmm. like he's afraid to d d e as in the beginning of deforest so just so that's clear oh the, yeah uh, it, d, the idea d, is d was, s- his, was his nickname yeah exactly yeah. so like uh the idea is oh if that's the case well they'll switch roles <laughs> but i don't I think that was tongue in cheek. I don't think they he ever <laughs> wanted to switch roles. I'm willing like, to
0: believe something like that
2: happened.
1: No,
0: well, like, well God. I don't think he wanted to switch roles. I think the executives are trying to shuffle things around to make the make it worth the problematic actors. You
1: know, yeah, I think that mm. I think they were trying to avoid the actors getting too much power from their characterizations. Exactly. Yeah, That'd be a way to do it. Um, yeah, he's he comes off so. I don't know if humble is the word. Like self-effacing, like he, yeah. he obviously, like from what I've what I've read, he obviously didn't like he didn't champion himself all that much during the run of the series. Like he he would like grumble, but he he was just sort of a, a working like a workaday kind of kind of actor. And even in even in his little jabs in these poems, he's he's like. it seems seems like he's doing it with love except for the nameless executives he he just seems to see like everyone as like humans who are doing their own thing and the second poem really like shows like he just he just seems to be like loving of everybody yeah it's always
0: they said something weird that we've had to deal with yeah (laughs) indeed faceless um the the faceless executives (laughs)
2: yes yeah like anything critical in these is, is about the networks and in these poems and um he's very sweet to his castmates. <laughs> um he's very sweet to himself i think too you know he's self-effacing but i think he is just generally just like i'm here i'm a person yeah. i'm involved in this project yeah like
1: yeah he, there i think he's most critical of of shatner and then he, he has a line about nimoy where he's like he like like he saw the paycheck or whatever and so then he yeah can that sounds, sounds a little
0: critical of uh nimoy but i know that was
1: nimoy yeah about yeah. Nimoy. yeah sorry go
0: well no i, I think it's just as a view as of, of an actor trying to get a project working. work you might it's like it's weird to see anybody have a negative view of anything about points, <laughs> right
2: I also think that a big part of this poem is humor mm-hmm. so for like, sure. you can't really necessarily take everything at face value like mm. Maybe he was just making a joke, like Nimoy saw the paycheck and he changed his mind. Uh, maybe about- he was like raising his eyebrows and looking at Nimoy when he said that. that yeah,
0: uh, <laughs> like I just ah, like, oh, you sort of thing. I, as
1: <laughs> exactly. Far, as far as I can tell, they they were friends from like way back, from like before Star Trek. Oh. They, they, I think that Nimoy was the actor that, um, that uh, wow, suddenly I'm forgetting deforest kelly's name like mccoy no (laughs) that uh deforest kelly worked with the most of of the star trek cast so i'm sure eve was like felt more entitled even to like jab at nimoy the one time that he does or maybe two times
0: yeah indeed that's right i didn't think about that in that context
2: i think it's teasing yeah um the whole poem is silly (laughs) it's not meant to be taken seriously and like even though i was going to be like on criticism, I'm gonna talk about the meter. I still will, but I <laughs> doubt that he cared that much about the meter. He was just trying to make something like cute and fun and kind of play with his yeah. castmates.
0: Well, like it sounds like this was just something he read out to fans before conventions. That's yeah, like a fun and thing.
2: He was looking for laughs. Yeah, and, and if it, like, yeah,
1: if it was just earnest, it wouldn't really have been fun to listen to. Yeah.
2: indeed. And I feel like maybe fans would have gotten a bigger laugh out of the idea that D Boy was in it for the money <laughs> because clearly he wasn't. Clearly,
1: he's
0: not. He's very much an artist. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so, shall we move on to the third poem here? Yes,
0: third poem. The third one is "The Dream Goes On and On and On." Like the second one was the dream goes on, and this was it goes on inventive and on and on, yeah. <laughs> Ellipsis, and this one was
2: 91. <laughs> is that correct?
0: Uh, 90, I think. Okay, I don't know. I, I'm reading numbers as I see them. <laughs> uh, dream goes on, yeah. That was the one before it. Dream goes on and on, yes. Uh, fan lore wiki page says 1990, rep- reprinted in 1993, And and this was right before the.
1: Last of the original series original movies. Original series movies if you don't count generation, which I don't. includes <laughs> some of the original series actors.
0: Uh, yeah, that's a Shatner and his horse. Yeah. <laughs> fair.
2: Yeah, I love that horse.
1: And it, it's the so- horse
2: gave great advice, okay? I mean Huh.
1: I do not remember this movie.
0: Well, I remember that Time is the is the best hunter because it gets us
1: all. So, at some point. <laughs> I don't know, it can be pretty slow about it. Anyway, <laughs> um and it's basically like kind of wrapping up the journey of the cast. Yeah, it, in all these movies and TV show, right?
0: Yeah, it talks about um mov- moving from the fifth movie to the sixth movie, the fact that the sixth movie was for the 25 year um anniversary mm-hmm. apparently. And yeah. it's, it's not
1: for critics. It's for the fans.
0: Yeah, and talking about how much how many people behind the scenes have been let go mm-hmm. and moving on. And he talks about the writer that cut the line that he hates, <laughs> which is he's dead, Jim. Right.
1: <laughs> he hates that line. He's, he only said it like, he only said derivations of it like 20 times, by the way. But you know, that's a lot of well, times. How many
0: episodes are there? There's like not that many, it's like
1: 70 or 80. I think
0: that's Still like a third. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, less than a third, but still about, yeah. It's not nothing.
1: That was his role used to pronounce people dead.
0: <laughs> Very dramatic. And then it talks about how um, Star Trek Six was made
2: for you, Paramount's way of saying adieu. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, they, it goes on to have that criticism of Paramount. Um, and it talks about Jimmy and his new RV and everybody else, what they're doing. Yeah, and and it mirrors the structure of the previous two essentially. Bill, of course, he's doing nine one one. That's
0: Shatner, right? Yeah. He's he's the star, so he's in heaven. He always
1: seems to be on the go. He even has his own horse show. <laughs> <laughs> he and I will say, like, he has comments here about Shatner and Nimoy, but like. But Primarily, now he's talking about like how hard of of workers they are. I feel yeah.
0: like, yeah. Well, he's talking about how Nimoy did the turn from not wanting to be in any of the movies to directing some of them. Yeah, indeed.
2: And of course, there's another reference to George Takei's laugh <laughs> when and and the same like is a reference. You know, we talked about George Takei having a job on the mayor's staff. So it says when George lost that, his job in the mayor's staff, I thought he'd lose that crazy laugh. Yeah. But when he's back on the set, it's louder than before. He's blown 20 takes, maybe more.
0: Yeah, and I think looking at this, it d- this does seem and again, like, a, it's teasing, but... like a Gene Roddenberry love letter also. Mm. Because at the end of the third one, um, finally and foremost, there's my dear friend Gene. He's the man responsible for this whole wonderful scene. It's strange how one person you know can change the way your life will go. You will always be part of my life, even though my nurse became his wife. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's
1: yeah. Funny. That's yeah. still so interesting because as far as I'm aware, like Roddenberry kind of screwed over the actors. Like Yeah. So but but he was just so thankful that he got the opportunity.
0: Well, is that slight doors thing? What what could happen, what can happen, and the fact that this like changed his life.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Indeed. And and I wonder if like Kelly Kelly's here here's the other thing is that Kelly wrote these poems for his friends to make them laugh. We know that is well, the history. For the fans,
0: I think. Because he said oh,
2: them no, to the fan convention. No, no, but he originally he he oh, told okay. he he said out loud that he originally wrote this for his friends to oh, make them okay, laugh. Okay, okay. But my point was going to be that if he were presenting them to a fan audience, he might have made some edits
3: mm, for yeah. the
2: sake of graciousness. Um, well, and then I don't know. Y- y- and yeah, again, not... like he was a forty-six-year-old actor when he started the show, and like no, forty-six is not old. It's kind of old in actor years. Oh, I guess. Actor years is ancient. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least like to get your start. So I mean, so, I actor mean year's like who like Thirty years is old. <laughs> Stop that.
0: I can't. <laughs> I and
1: I wonder if like going back to like his enthusiasm, right? Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's because he's so involved in the fan community after the show's end for so. so long. Yeah. Like he's just he's just constantly feeling that enthusiasm for the rest of his career, um even though the other actors are like off being divas or or whatever. Um, or working
0: with NASA, yeah, right. As divas do. Oh my God! <laughs> well,
2: is, Michelle is. Nichols was a diva. Yeah. I'm just gonna put it out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He like so... in the best possible. <laughs> but he is so of complimentary of
1: her yeah. in this poem. Like he's 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 saying how much of a star she is. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I've never heard an unkind word towards
2: Michelle Nichols. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Talent, looks, and guts. She's out there knocking them on their butts. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Oh, oh, except the only thing you makes fun of her for is that thing in her ear. Even with that thing in her <laughs> ear is I'm, one of the lines. I'm not aware yeah. of what that is.
3: It's, oh, like it's a
2: communication the, device. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Remember, she's got that giant yeah, that, thing. You would have known that if you looked at the screen at one point. <laughs> <laughs> <Taren's> only watched <laughs> Star Trek with his eyes closed.
1: Here's a criticism of Star Trek. <laughs> Nichelle Nichols should have gotten more lines in the original series, mm-hmm. and not
2: had to wear that. Had to wear that thing in her hair, Yeah, yeah. And like the last
0: little jab he has at Letter Nimoy. Um, remember, boy, did he do a turnaround when he heard that money sound? You know, he not only decided that he would defect, but he wanted to act and direct. He's just crazy wanting more. He's directed three and also four. Now he's back as a producer slash actor. A very very important factor. I never thought that I'd see the day when Spock would control my movie pit. And even yeah. so, I'll never get rich because of that green-blooded son of a bitch. <laughs> which,
3: which is
1: interesting to me too, because the the, the first time DeForest Kelly was paid like a really significant sum from his work on Star Trek, like directly, mm-hmm. was because Nimoy specifically required him to be paid a million dollars for the movie. That this poem is promoting. Oh, so like,
3: <laughs>
1: so I'm 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 almost curious if like Nimoy actually heard this poem and was like, <laughs> um, maybe I should well, be paying. If we're going
0: with with the 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 jabbing thing, I think he's just like making fun of. I'm guessing Nimoy did that already, and he's just making fun. It's like, hey, where's more money?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another another part of that is like. Shatner directed the fifth movie, mm-hmm. which was widely panned. And which one was the fifth one? I don't even care. <laughs> I think it was called um, oh. The Final Frontier, I think Final is what Frontier. it was called. Oh, is yeah. that yeah.
0: one of The Fine yeah. God or something?
1: Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, And it was widely panned, but he, he directed it supposedly because Nimoy had enough power and he was like, you know, I've directed two of these. Shatner should be <laughs> able to direct one. So it was trading <laughs> off, you know. Yeah, Um. Yeah, and Shatner also wrote a bunch of Star Trek books. He's just all over the place. And uh, like, Kelly's not wrong that Shatner was like on the grind. Yeah. And that <laughs> Nimoy was like really powerful and, and like basically handling all the money. Because of Spock mania.
0: Spock mania. Who doesn't want to be a Vulcan, though?
1: Man, everyone wanted to be a Vulcan. Uh, and... Did you
0: ever want to be a Vulcan? <laughs>
1: I was I people thought I had elf-looking ears growing up I so they kind of called me that anyway. Um and I I kind of acted like him too, but I don't know if that's co- directly because of his influence or or like Data's influence. Well, that's in just Oh, um, data, data. Data. I mean, like <laughs> I am Data at heart, honestly,
2: and Data is a person. Yeah. Data has feelings and story. I mean, it you know <laughs> Yeah, it has feelings. I, I, Na- Never mind. Data I, always had feelings.
0: I always had affinity for the Vulcan slash Data way of speaking. <laughs> Indeed.
2: The way of speaking, but like here is the major thing is like Data hypothetically does not have emotions even though he clearly does. Clearly does. Um, But like, well, you know what? Seven of nine is probably the best analog for all of us neurodivergent humans. Yeah. A lot of people who identify as having uh, Be on the autism spectrum, identify with seven of nine's experience, but uh, my main point is that when you don't truly, when you're very analytical about other, like a- about humans and don't truly understand them, but like still try to speak them and understand them, yeah, I think it's very easy to identify with those characters. And obviously, uh, to me at least, Data is a direct kind of like descendant of Spock. Yes. And Seven of Nine's descendant of data in terms yeah. of the type of character. And that's the amazing and wonderful thing about Star Trek is having those types of characters.
1: So yeah, it's almost like a genealogy there. Yeah. Um speaking more about like Spock Mania just for a second, because it ties into my own perception of of McCoy. Hmm. Um, in the DS9 episode where is it Dax who says like Oh man. And they they go back in time or whatever to the Trouble of Triples episode. And Dax is like, oh man, he's so hot. And and Cisco's like, oh yeah, Kirk's a fan, like a ladies' man. And and, uh, no, she's like, no, she's talking about Spock, I guess. Well,
2: because Jadzia, I think, also kind of falls at that lie. Well, yeah.
0: Yeah. They go further with like the the trans. Uh, Anyways, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I I assumed that for some reason when she's she's like no I'm not talking about Spock I thought she was mm-hmm. talking about a uh, McCoy because I always thought <laughs> he had really cool eyes too, mm-hmm. um, but one thing I noticed when I was doing my rewatch of the original series is that Spock really is like. Smoking, like I don't know what it is exactly. <laughs> he is smoldering in all of his scenes that I actually looked at with it's my the eyes.
2: Eyebrow raise, like mm. it gets me every time. Well, it's like the, the intense eye contact, the eyebrow yeah. raise, and like
0: the really looking and, and, the,
1: and the politeness and the like. <laughs> he's like civility. looking into your soul. He's
0: like, is, is he ignoring what's going on? Yeah. No, he's hyper focused in. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And he's got that deep voice, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah. Nimoy's <laughs> voice is, like, so distinctive. hmm
1: Yeah. Unlike um, McCoy's or Forrest Kelly's, whose voice is prone to catchphrases. Poor DeForest Kelly.
0: Mm, I mean, Not... I'm a fan of catchphrases,
2: though. <laughs> yeah. Wait. It's, it's funny because learning that Kelly really didn't like the he's dead Jim blind it's funny to me because I love it and I feel like he learning reading this these poems well is it it, like
0: because I I hadn't considered it before it was brought up but
2: was that sarcastic in these poems also I was also thinking about that too because he's so playful in this yeah and I think his personality comes through quite a bit um so yeah I don't know that was there probably was. I mean, if we were to read these poems for Kelly's personality, I think I would read it as a very sort of like a little bit teasing, but good natured. Mm-hmm. Um, Someone who likes to play and have fun and doesn't really hold anything against anyone else. It seems very sweet and wholesome. And, you know, I've I don't know. We've been accused of being a wholesome podcast before. so. Uh, I uh, like it. How do we not do that? Uh, uh, poop in
0: butts.
1: Uh, oh sh- it's not going to do it for me. I'm <laughs> going to keep shit. leaving these comments. <laughs> where's where's my grim, re- re- gritty reboot of this podcast? <laughs>
0: well, we need to talk about stuff I don't like, then I'll be tough. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Fucking edgy motherfuckers. Wow.
0: Yeah, but swearing isn't the same thing as being...
1: I don't know. (laughs) I'm downvoting.
0: So at the end of these things, we normally do uh, like a constructive criticism thing where we talk about what we don't like, then we talk about what we do like. Mm. Does anybody have... Tori, you mentioned the uh, meter before as something you didn't like about these poems.
2: So look, I kind of said it before. I don't want to be that harsh because again, I don't think the intent was to be an accomplished poet. Right. Though it it's a little janky. He starts in I am's and then he kind of like breaks off from that. Mm-hmm. And I like where you have like several emphasized syllables in a row. So I don't know. It's hard to say it's a criticism because I don't think the goal was to like for it to really be poetry. I think it was to be like cute and fun. Did it uh, detract from the poem you think? I actually, I don't think it did. But what I do think is that it wouldn't have been that hard to correct that meter. He did make the attempt to make an ABAB rhyme system with, you know, not a dissimilar number of syllables per line, but he did not correct the meter in a way that made it flow.
1: Mm. And that that made it worse for me. Mm. like. For the record that's that would be my critique because i yeah i'm I may be more judgmental and I mean, I imagine he wasn't thinking that this would be critically reviewed these poems like by a poet laureate community or whatever, <laughs> but uh yeah, like there's that there's the meter and and like how it flows. I think my only like other kind of criticism is. This as far as I can tell, this basically substituted for his writing of an autobiography. Hmm. Because he never actually wrote one, which makes him Mm. like the only original cast member who didn't. There is a biography that someone else wrote after he died Mm. from conversations with him, but This was super autobiographical and it was like super, like if you didn't know anything about the production, like it would be pretty informative. Mm -hmm. It seems to be mostly accurate from what I can tell.
0: But it's not an autobiography.
1: Yeah, it does give information, but it's, you know, I think his autobiography would have been incredible based on these poems. (laughs) Like just the kind of voice I would want to hear while talking about the production history of this. That's not really a criticism. It's just sort of a wishful thinking. Yeah, but I agree with that though.
0: I, I think the, the the meter and because because like for, when it comes to poetry, one of my favorite people is like um Edgar Allan Poe. Just the rhythm of the words mm-hmm. is what I get into a lot. And so when it's not that, I I, think I get a little uh, jaded about it. But I think it was fine. But the other problem is the fact that we can't read the tone because mm-hmm. this was made for the people at the time, and mm-hmm. that doesn't translate. Because in the written form as much. And
2: yeah, that that's not fun for me. <laughs> well, yeah, I I was actually just looking up if I could see a, a video of him performing this at a convention. That'd be interesting,
0: yeah.
2: And I, I couldn't find one, unfortunately, though I, I will keep searching. It's possible one exists. Obviously the first poem was written in seventy-seven, so it probably be hard to find something. And the latest one was ninety. 90,
1: yes. 1990. Yeah, and, and so, he, he died in ninety-nine, so Indeed. There weren't phones like, with cameras at that point. Indeed.
2: So yeah, it's it's very possible this was never this performance was never filmed. hmm But considering the like Star Trek conventions, who knows? Um and I think I would just love to hear his tone in this. Definitely. yeah. I, and that's not a criticism. It's just to say that I don't know. I don't know how it would have sounded with his his own vocal intonations. Or, I mean, I can imagine, but.
0: or just like him half smiling through some of the phrases or something. Certainly would mean something. Yeah. Some context, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, but as as for praise, yes. Um, for me, I just I just like it when like actors that <laughs> to some degree I revere, I find out like they do stuff like this, mm-hmm. especially the Star Wars or Star Wars. Star Trek cast. Ignore the Star Wars. Banished. Uh,
0: <laughs> thousand years dungeon. We're not going to talk
1: about how Star Trek like only got its movies made because of Star Wars. Anyway, well, they,
0: that's mentioned specifically in the poems. I don't think we brought that up, but yeah, they might talk about how the success of Star Wars inspired Star Trek.
1: I,
2: I read out that stanza, but yes. okay, yeah. we didn't like specifically refer to it. I don't, don't think, I don't know. I I, I interrupted. <laughs> Go on.
1: Like when I found out like about Leonard Nimoy's like Bilbo Baggins song, (laughs) singing about (laughs) the adventures of Bilbo Baggins, I was just like, at first I was very cringy. I was like, wow, this makes me feel like Nimoy is a super nerd. And then I was like, Mm -hmm. wait, why, why would that be a cringe-worthy thing? They're just, they're just (laughs) awesome and earnestly like, like diving into random Uh, bits of fandom that they like and so for me like DeForest forrest kelly literally writing this silly poem (laughs) these silly poems about about his own experience in star trek and almost like a like a whole narrative about it i just think it's super cool like it's not it's, it's not like he's a professional poet but that almost makes it more meaningful to me yeah like he didn't do it like out of a sense of Like trying to show off or anything. He's just like literally having fun coming up with rhyming couplets for the story of the production of Star Trek. And that's just so random. And that just is just cool to me. Yeah.
2: Uh, May I add that? I know I have shared this on the show before, but you know we've got like over 160 episodes now. So in case you haven't, listeners, <laughs> listen to all 160 episodes. Don't listen to every stuff. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that, uh, but I will say, this is about that. I was really hesitant to be on this podcast at first because, like, I just like there was something about fan fiction felt like. Like the same way, like I don't know, I was like, uh, uh, uh. and now I mean, I'm I absolutely love fan fiction and I am so interested in it. And I know I also talked about this on um fanfic maverick, but just that like this podcast made me understand how much, and I, I was younger then too, but like appreciate and understand and love fandom like. Unironically, and I think for our generation, like sometimes we get a little bit into that '90s mode of like we gotta be cool. um <laughs> There, and, and that's like not exclusive to the '90s. I guess what I'm trying to say is, this is something I really appreciate about Kelly's poem. It's not just the love for the project that he was in, and for because to be honest, like that. To me, is expected mm.
3: mm-hmm.
2: because it was an incredible project and it made such a huge like cultural and social difference. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that he wrote this ridiculous, silly poem that like by all like standards of poetry is not very good. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like I don't even care about that because it's so fun to read. Mm-hmm. He didn't he didn't care. He just wanted to have fun. And I think that that's a wonderful thing that we all need to like reflect on and bring ourselves back to, um, yeah. because there's so much potential I think that's kind of what you're pointing out, Taryn, is there's so much potential in just enjoying the things we enjoy?
0: Yeah, I think one of the things i I like the most uh, about this is the fact that it it is a fan work mm-hmm. done by uh someone who participated in the original project, and that's so interesting to me as someone. That, that someone who was spent so much time with this project was inspiring enough to write something with it. Like, even if, if he was just, like, uh, if hypothetically they were just, like, very callous and just doing the grind and getting the money, you wouldn't be inspired to write anything. Yeah. You know, and the fact that, like, writing a poem is hard. <laughs> yeah. Poetry is hard as fuck, y'all. And the fact that he did it because he wanted to because of this project, as someone is a... Who was a fan of the person, who a person who was a fan who was part of the making of it is like. I, I love that as someone who does like community theater, the the few projects I really liked were the uh, some of the projects where some of the cast members did, hmm. you know, works.
3: Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a cast member that uh, made everybody's shirts and then put their names on it and one of the lines of the character said on it, mm-hmm. and another one did a uh, little behind-the-scenes documentary about it. That was fun.
2: It's such an interesting thing to think about. You can tell someone enjoys the work they do when Mm -hmm. they do things around their work. I think that's kind of what you were saying, Della. But extra things they don't have to do around their work and it is hard to find work that we love, so it is incredible to witness.
0: yeah, and I think for me, that really touches me when it whens people that work on um creative works, mm-hmm. where, yeah, it's an industry, and you're doing it for money, and there's a whole uh process for that. but like being so inspired by being creative that you create, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like those people that do storyboards on cartoon shows that draw their own fan art of stuff, yeah, I love that.
1: Yeah, it's a labor of love, clearly, and you know, you know, as ours make it really broadly applicable to everyone. I I feel like <laughs> back in the day, a lot of be, be, before like mass transport of goods and whatever, mm-hmm. everything was a little bit more uh, boutique. Like like you knew your local grocer, you knew your local leather maker whatever and and we're we might be going back towards that now that like everything is so standardized all of the products we all get from one like a lot of us get from one place we order online or whatever Mm -hmm. and so now it's it's more like we hopefully in my opinion going back towards getting to know the people that are involved in our commerce and maybe maybe this was the end of a period before that mass production and mass mass commerce, and now we're hopefully coming. But who knows? That 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 got really abstract.
0: Well, no, that's interesting because this was made seventies, eighties, nineties.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well,
2: I mean, we should wrap it up, but I just want to make another <laughs> note that this was seventies, eighties, nineties. Yes. Um, and that just occurred to me is to say that clearly this was something that Eve. I I doubt. Kelly was working on it for 10 years in between, but it came back (laughs) to his mind. And it probably came back to him because the fan community enjoyed it. And I think that's kind of the lovely thing about Star Trek is that sort of fan community connection. Oh, yeah. I think so.
0: And can I mention with like multiple works spanning more than a decade,
1: consistent. Yeah, very consistent. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't try to change it up all At all. Yeah. Uh, So I have one last question for you. Mm -hmm. Um, is this fan fiction?
0: That is an excellent question.
2: So I asked this query Mm -hmm. to Amato and Della earlier because I wanted to know if we considered it fan fiction. And I think that we did. I'm not sure if Amato gave me a response actually. He's been quite busy, but I will say that having myself thought about it. I think that it is okay. something we discussed was that an actor in a piece of media did not write that piece of media, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I, what was the example that I gave, or I forgot the example I gave before that made it made a lot of make a lot of sense? But
1: I'll, I just believe that you made a lot of sense.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh,
0: I I think I we, we have a, a definitive. You know, definition for what is and isn't fan fiction, but that's up for debate. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, it has to be um, uh, transformative. It can't just be like a redoing of the original media. Uh, it has to be transgressive, It' not owned by the original copyright holder, mm. and um, either done by a fan or done for the fans. Mm. And I think this fits all three of my, my criteria. It is definitely transformative being a poem and not a uh, television show. It is transgressive because it's copyright, um, you know, uh, you know, bones, not yeah. not Roddenberry or NBC, <laughs> so that makes right. it transgressive. <laughs> and if this was like done by him talking about the show and then later given to fanzines and read before a
2: convention, this was definitely for fans. Mm-hmm. So I believe this counts as a fan work, indeed, and actually. Like the example I gave before was like, well, if an actor acted in a Shakespeare play mm-hmm. and then wrote Shakespeare fan fiction, mm. would we consider that fan fiction? Yes. Yeah. Because like, just because this was a consistent cast member for many years doesn't take away from the fact that they are not the writer or yeah. creator. They Now, not to say that, Kelly's contribution to the work wasn't significant no
0: no but I I think if this had been like um subsumed by the corporation as part of like a media push or something or like they put it posted it on the on the official Star Trek Twitter (laughs) when it came out (laughs) if that was a thing at the time then that then then it would be promotional work and not a fan work
1: yeah yeah I can I can see it yeah
2: so to be fair, um, I mean, as we always say, our our definition of fan fiction, there there are loopholes poles, and it's it's always evolving. No, I think we got it. <laughs> okay, sure. This is it. I, I'm, this I'm, is the line. Please send me your definition. <laughs> that's what of it is. fan fiction. transgressive, transformative
0: by our four fans. Number four, okay, but that's not like this poem. <laughs> oh dear God! I, I might be an Earth sign. <laughs> <laughs> so. Thank you so much, Tarn, for joining us today. I, we love getting the chance to talk to you and having the podcast and our projects is a great excuse to spend time with you.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, you know that's the adult thing. That's come adult up with thing. random projects as ways yeah. to hang out. Well, so our our Google calendars can can come together at one point. <laughs> <laughs> we can pretend we're working like we've been programmed to do. <laughs>
0: exactly from our uh, Puritan American ideals. Ah, uh, millennials. <sighs> and, and Tori, thanks for finding bringing this to us. Like it's rare for us to have something that a model didn't bring to us. And I appreciate it. It was really great. It
3: was nice.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it was a wonderful coincidence of things. I didn't even have to look that hard. Only a couple TNG fanfic before I followed some other authors back.
0: And I I mentioned before like in in our text thread, I don't think we've talked about too many poems before. So it was interesting to talk about a different medium.
2: Indeed. Um, But especially in like a narrative long form poem, I Mm -hmm. think that that's something that we should explore in the future. We call this an epic poem. (laughs) I was just thinking that, like, in the back of my brain, but I
1: was like, no, no,
2: don't say it, it, Tori. I got it.
1: In the fanzine, it was like 12 pages long.
2: Well, it was, right? 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 (laughs) Anyway, anyway. Oh, also, if anyone can find a copy of the fanzine or any. Um, one read uh, like a video of DeForest Kelly reading. I know it's kind of a long shot, but like, mm-hmm. please, please send us that if you can. because yeah. I would love to see it.
0: But you know, where, where are they send us stuff?
2: <laughs> oh, well, let's wrap, what do you know? Yeah,
0: let's wrap up this episode. I'm thinking I'm supposed to know the
2: episode number for this, right? You, you might have to know it. I don't actually. Remember. <laughs> this I was supposed to be added
1: in post. Of... <laughs> To be added in post.
0: This was episode to be added in post. (laughs) (laughs) Where we talked about three different poems, The Big Bird's Dream, The Dream Goes On, and The Dream Goes On, and On, and On, which are three poems by Jackson DeForest Kelly. You can find links to them on Fanlore's article about the second or third poem. On the first poem, it sends a link to uh, what Tori showed us before, which had like the first and second poems. Check out the second and third poem, where there's a link to the blog blogspot link that has all three hmm. the intro song to the podcast is the weekly fair off of the album popy's incredible adventure by komiku the outro song is run against the universe from the same album you can find that album and other works by komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com i don't think i have to mention who edited the episode that's me <laughs> it's me <you. laughs> it's me it's you I, I put this in here originally but we did the format of a uh, Amato and tori talking to guests when i'm not on microphone i don't know. We don't have to say it when I'm here, right? You can say
1: it. I allow it. Uh, thank you.
0: <laughs> our, pet, our podcast is edited by the gorgeous, wonderful Della Rose. <laughs> <laughs> and that she is. Mm-hmm. You can find our podcast on our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. You have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode uh, or you know, links to DeForest Kelly reading any of this. Uh, You can send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at retrofanfic. I'm ship's captain, Della.
2: I'm counselor Tori.
0: I'm communications officer, Tarin. And we're just three possibly Vulcan platforms trying to be nice to each other. Till next time, take care.
1: (laughs) It's worse than that. Worse than that? The podcast is dead, Della.
0: No. Uh, (laughs) It can't be. No! Even though I know it's not I'm going be No! <laughs> God.